I want to talk to you today about wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, 6, and 7. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. The subject is wisdom, right? Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Now, verse 7 is the verse I want to use. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing. I just gave this a title that I'm not even certain that it's entirely accurate when I use the word purpose. But wisdom is the primary purpose in life. Really, the primary purpose in life is to know God. But we get to know God through wisdom. From a child, he says in 2 Timothy, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise. If I didn't quote the rest of the verse, which is what we ordinarily concentrate on, salvation, we forget the holy scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.16, the holy scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation. Wise. And it occurs to me that this is a theme that hasn't been visited in some time, not only here, but I mean, we have such an emphasis on power and faith, all of which is in the Bible, but here the book says, the Bible says, wisdom is the main thing. Therefore, with everything that you've got, everything that you have, all your intellectual powers, all your reading and what have you, get wisdom. Learn how things operate in life. When we look at the instructions of the Lord, Old and New Testaments, what he is imparting to us is wisdom. This is how it works. And this is how it doesn't work. I read a little story, which I don't think is true. It was cute, though. It's wintertime, and a woman, a wife, texts her husband, and the text simply says, windows frozen, won't open. So the husband texts back. He says, get some lukewarm water, pour it gently, and then lightly tap it around the edges with a hammer. A couple of minutes go by. The woman texts her husband back, and she says, computer's really messed up now. When you're in a debate with anybody, anywhere, you have to clearly define the terms. How am I using this word? How do I understand this word? How do you understand this word? Before we can debate or argue, we have to have the terms clearly defined. So obviously, wisdom would have dictated, if he had a presence of mind, to say, what are you talking about, windows in the house, or are you talking about windows program? The instructions to fix it would have been better, but I think it's a great illustration of how we often approach life. We don't ask. We just charge into it with lukewarm water and tap it with a hammer, and it don't work. And then we say, well, it's really broke. Now it's really messed up. I mean, honestly, can't you look at your life for a moment and say, yeah, that's me. You have a Bible in your lap. Bible's in your home. It's sitting right there. All the wisdom that we're going to need in this life is right there. And let me say it this way. We don't even learn from our mistakes. <laughs> it's interesting. Whatever the resolution is for this law of Mike, this will be in his hands back there. This is your fault. Um, in any case, you're going to resolve this, right? <laughs> Lukewarm water first, then just hit it with a hammer. So whatever the problem is, who knows? We were spending some time here yesterday rearranging the instruments and plenty of wires over here. Never thought to test out the main microphone for preaching the word. So there you go. Will we learn from this mistake? Yeah, I hope so. I guess so. But it's minor. In life, we can make mistakes that are so bad that it could put us into a very deep hole. We all make mistakes. Everybody has sinned. I'm not even relating the two. One is a mistake, one is sin. But the question is, what have we learned? What are we learning? 
When we look at this word wisdom here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, we see a word that means skill, as in skillful in warfare, to be shrewd, to be prudent, and then you can take many synonyms and definitions from that of what it means to actually be wise. And let me remind you again that 2 Timothy 3.16 says, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise. I don't want to register an opinion precisely, but it seems to me, I'll say the average Christian, just an observation and a thought that the average Christian is not very wise. Uh, let me say this. We have a real virus going around, okay? It should be evident to everybody that this is real. If people talk like, well, this is not real. You know, it's just some kind of conspiracy. Well, without going through the details, I just gave you a few details. That's not a conspiracy. That's a reality. And see, the enemy, Satan, draws us into things where we become unwise. Because, and I'll read this to you in just a second. It's a little advice for you who like to read not only the Bible, but you like to read books. I've got something for you that's in the area of wisdom. We're drawn into things for a number of reasons. One, we already have an opinion. And so we find that author that corroborates with our opinion. And we say, see, he's got a PhD and an MD, and he's saying what I'm saying. But you don't have a PhD and an MD. So you have a presupposition. When that happens, we are not wise. What we should be after, no matter where it lands, is the truth. I've gone over and over again on either Bible translations or the translators themselves and giving you teachings and courses and stuff in it. And I'm still convinced that the King James Version is the very best translation. But you know, from time to time, I keep revisiting the subject and going over it again to see if this opinion is still holding. My opinion is it holding. So far it is. But my point is that I can't approach the subject because I've already studied it and done my homework and say, okay, so that's forever. It's as always a search for the truth. What is the truth at the very basis of everything? Is the Bible actually the truth? But we'll leave that go for today. That's a more involved subject. One of the most disheartening things for me personally over the last 20 years or more, 30 years, has been all these high-profile Christian speakers, teachers, leaders, pastors, evangelists, apologists falling down, falling from grace as we use the term. These are some people whose books I read and whose ministry I admired. One is Bill Gothard, who most of you, I think, won't be familiar with him. But he was very influential, especially in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, very influential with his pastor's conferences, his pastor's seminars. And I would go yearly, every year, to a pastor's conference of thousands of pastors and listen to his teachings. A few years ago, it began to surface that there were multiple allegations against him. They ranged up into like 34, including molestation and rape. Now, those are allegations. They never went to court. Because after a period of time, the women that were involved in these cases decided to let the suit go. But they make a statement on their website that they were not recanting the events actually happened. But there was, it was sort of like when we left the building over there in Main Street. I realized that the collateral damage to win a victory would have been pyrrhic. It's easier to leave the building and here, God will have one provided that very day, that same day. You know the story. Bill Gothard would be the least person. He was sort of, in my mind, sort of like the Mr. Rogers of Christianity in his approach, in his demeanor, in his speech. The last guy I would have selected to have fallen for grace, but then right next to that would have been Ravi Zacharias. Book after book after book written, supposed to be, you know, so intelligent. I did have questions. I asked a lot of questions to myself. Even when I'm reading the Bible, how come, why, how does that work? I have a curious mind. But when Ravi Zacharias was brought to the light, there was over 200 pictures that he either explicitly or implicitly solicited from women. And then there's other accusations. One also includes rape. 
Since that time, Zondervan and all the publishing companies won't sell any more of his books. His ministry, former ministry, because he's, you know he's passed away, uh, his former ministry has come out publicly. They had an independent investigation from a law firm, and it turned out that the accusations were true. So the ministry came out has now changed its name and apologized to the victims and so on. But if you've ever seen Ravi when he was on the platform, you know, he gave a great presentation, an apologist, someone who's defending the Bible. And we're taken, at least I am, we're taken by surprise by these high-profile people because we don't expect this. We expect people who talk about their expertise in the area are actually experts. But that's not always the case. So we have all of these lists, and then there's many more whom you do know because it was in the media and made the headlines and so on. And the thing that I want to impress upon you is how wise can a person be Though you could quote all the scriptures in the world and understand the Hebrew underlying text of the Old Testament and the Greek underlying the New Testament and everything in between in history and archaeology and all this stuff, but if you don't practice it, anybody could fall. Anybody could sin. Anybody can make a mistake. I make them frequently. I mean, faux pas from the pulpit. Someone pointed out in my little thing on the Oasis about Elvis, I kept calling his stepbrother Raymond. Well, she had a field day with that because his name was Rick. I forgot my name is Raymond. His name is Rick. Well, she went on to tell me I don't know anything about Elvis. I just let it go with that because wisdom says I'm not getting drawn down there. But maybe I don't. Well, I actually do, but maybe I don't. But I definitely know Jesus. And the point was still made that Elvis was a drug-addicted individual, hopelessly drug-addicted, and he never changed. And he needed Jesus. That was the point. I guess she didn't want to hear the point. Whatever. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes. That's a mistake. That's not sin. Here you have sin being practiced, and then I don't know how you walk on a platform and tell people about purity and holiness and all of that. We want to go after wisdom. We want to make sure that we are a people who know the scriptures that are able to make us wise. In fact, my eyes just fell on chapter 3, verse 35. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Another example, again, if you watch The Oasis, the little show that I'm doing, I talked about the tragic truth about Alec Baldwin, who's been making many, many statements about guns and all this here in the Second Amendment, and probably 99 point something of gun owners in America have never shot and killed anybody. Yet the guy who was opening his mouth a lot did. Well, honestly, I feel a bit of compassion for him, because it's not my practice to kick people when they're down. I would suggest it wouldn't be yours as well. Because there's a lot of people who just want to seem really pay now. And I don't have time to go through that particular subject. But I will say this, as I did on the broadcast. He that has shown no mercy, I'm paraphrasing it, won't be shown any mercy. So be merciful as you can until it comes to the point where you're just compromising truth. You can't do that. But you should be merciful to people. Well, there's an interesting disparity between people. We're not looking at people outside the Bible. We're looking at people in the Bible. We're looking at people who have Bibles. Let me read this verse again. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. We see these things come to pass. If you'll carefully read the Bible, you'll see these things happen. And when you're watching your news, when you're watching people observing yourself, you'll see the scriptures coming true. My point today is this. We want to go after wisdom. That's why these scriptures were written. So that we could recognize the Messiah when he came. And he came. And he's returning. So that we can be wise to know what that sign here that we read in the news and that sign that we see coming to pass, how does it fit in this book and what does that mean to me? See, when I read the Bible, I never read it for anybody else. I don't read it for you. I don't read it even for my family. I read it for me. And I always read the text with one thing in mind. Okay, how does this apply? 
how do I use this? I mean, what do I got to change? You know, what type of person ought I to be? This is, in my way of thinking, the purpose of the Bible. Maybe I should have said wisdom is the purpose of the Bible. Purpose of the Bible is to know God. Purpose of life, rather, is to know God. Purpose of the Bible is to gain wisdom to actually know God. Remember, there's billions and billions of claims out there, everybody who knows God, and they're all different. It stands to reason that they all can't be true. Now, how do we find that one that it really is true? We give the Bible the first nod without much investigation because it always was and still will be, as it is now, the best-selling book of all time. There's a reason for that. But let me just give you some help here. And just one more thing about experts. Let me go outside the area of the Bible and just talk about this, because this is wisdom. Because someone is an expert in one field does not mean they're an expert in another field or every field. We here in this little hamlet that we call a city, Amsterdam, has produced a man who was born here, raised here, that has been called the most important doctor in the world, and that's Tom Katina. He's been in the Sudan for 20 years, and he has anywhere between 500,000 to 1 million patients, and he's the only surgeon there, Catholic missionary. Now, from Tom Katina, we go with this Dr. Stephen Gundry, world-renowned surgeon, 10,000 heart operations, heart transplants, all of this stuff. Some of you probably want to work on your heart. Now he's launched off into diet and nutrition. I met a woman who just oddly enough happened to be a surgeon's wife who was telling me one day about tomatoes. You shouldn't eat tomatoes. I said, you're Italian. How can you not eat a tomato? Well, Dr. Gundry said about lentils and beans. I said, what? So I did the research, and I found out that he's considered now a quack. This is a world-renowned surgeon who's saying that you don't eat beans, that these things are actually the cause of all diseases or most diseases. And I'm thinking to myself, God made a tomato. God made, well, cucumbers. God made lentils. It didn't make sense. Dr. Mehmet Oz, Dr. Gundry and Dr. Mehmet Oz. Mehmet Oz is also, he invented a heart device, brilliant surgeon. Yet not that long ago, he's on his own program with psychics. And why were people drawn in? Because he was an expert in another field. Because he's an expert cardiologist, cardiovascular surgeon like Gundry. And I compare it to Tom Coutinho because he's not going to get the limelight. He's not going to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. He's not going to be selling, I hope not, supplements. And there's nothing to gain. So wisdom, this is the point why I brought these guys up. Here's the point. Wisdom would say, well, because Gundry was an expert, had great hands and a great mind for heart surgery, doesn't mean he's an expert in diet and nutrition. And when you start to hear things that violate common sense, again, who made a tomato? God made a tomato. People have been eating them forever, but he's now saying tomatoes and other things like it, lentils and beans, are the cause of all disease, or most diseases. Well, this strikes my mind as odd. I don't have to have a degree in medicine. I don't have to go to Harvard Medical to figure out that there's something wrong with this statement here, and so on. What is that? That's wisdom. It's knowing to say, I probably would have him operate my heart, but I don't want him as my nutritionist. Let me give this advice very quickly that I said that I would about reading. Some of you like to read books, some of you don't. But whether you read books or not, read the Bible for sure. John Bailey was a Scottish theologian, and he wrote these words, Leave me not, O Holy Spirit, in such hours as I may today devote to the reading of books or of newspapers. Guide my mind to choose the right books, and having chosen them, to read them in the right way. When I read for profit, grant that all I read may lead me nearer to thyself. When I read for recreation, grant that what I read may not lead me away from thee. Let all my reading refresh my mind, that I may more eagerly seek after whatsoever things are pure and fair and true. And he put an amen after his prayer. It's a theologian, so he's going to read books outside the Bible. 
Not all, which we see from his prayer, are related to the Bible. But he says, when I read, whether it's for recreation or just to improve my mind and to know what's going on in the world, and this is the 19th century when he wrote that, he's saying, but make sure it leads me closer to you or at least doesn't pull me away from you. So let me say this. I think that social media in many, many ways has been a blessing. But I would caution you, don't spend the rest of your life on earth getting your information from Facebook. Look, at I do hours. You have no idea how many hours goes into a message like this. A whole week I'm studying. I am literally knee-deep in books. I told you that. That's the truth that I read. And I read on a lot of subjects. It takes time. It takes energy. Sometimes my mind is so depleted. My brain is so depleted. But not many people have the inclination, the disposition, forgive me, or the intelligence to figure out that this is a meme. I have a meme generator on my phone. I make my own memes. When you see, if you're on Facebook and you're friends with me, you'll see, you know, a devotional with a scripture verse and all that. I've made that. I have a meme generator. Anybody could do it. I could put out all kinds of nonsense, and people say, oh, you know, Pastor Ray, because they trust me. Well, he just says something, but not many people were going to check it out. That takes time. So I'm just simply saying, if you don't have the time, the interest, the disposition, or perhaps even the intelligence, then I would suggest you really go slow on social media. Stay friends with your friends. Wish them a happy birthday. But be very careful about the news. Because I do research. Dr. Robert Malone came out with the mRNA vaccine, claimed to be the guy. Now people are saying, wait a second, we were there too. I got his book. I'm not all that really impressed. Well, you say, oh, he's an MD, PhD. I don't care who he is. The only person I really trust is God. And I know that God wrote this book. This is all wisdom. I'm not disarmed because someone is the MD, PhD, and he was in on the research and all that stuff. That does not mean that his conclusion is correct. And again, my, my word of caution to you is if you want to become wise, I would, you know, think, think of your mind or your brain like a cup. And just try to picture today how much of that cup has been filled with this book and how much has been filled with what I'll just simply say other stuff. How much are you learning from Facebook or other social media platforms? But that's to me one of the lowest grades. Because anybody can say stuff, make stuff. And then well-intentioned people, and by that I mean Christians, reproducing it. I've had to do it with my own friends. Private message them say, man, you got to check. That's wrong. That's not right. That's not true. And it makes everybody look stupid, but particularly the person that reproduced it. Wisdom is the principal thing. When you read books, you have to spend time. You have to really be diligent to read those books. Mortimer Adler, he was not a Christian, but Harvard professor, he said, good books are above your head. If they weren't, they wouldn't be a good book. It's got to stretch your thinking. It's got to pull you up above a little bit. That's the way to search for the truth on any subject. The Bible is no exception. Let's take a look at a few Bible verses and some general references to wisdom. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, God gives moral law, and there's a lot of wisdom in the Old Testament. And he says to Israel these words, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, not just your friends. Oh, he's wise. Well, he's smart. He has understanding. He said, as a nation, this is going to be your wisdom when other nations compare themselves to you. This will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, we know that that didn't pan out all that great as we look at the history of Israel as things move on. But it should be our history to say this local fellowship here at the Time for Truth or any local fellowship, surely this is a wise group of people. They're really wise. The sons of Issachar, they knew the times, and they knew what was the appropriate measure 
See, this is skill in warfare, by the way, as well. You don't muscle everything. There are exit strategies in combat, a way to get out of there. Special forces always have these in place, and so does a good commanding general or commanding officer. There's got to be a way to get out. This isn't going our way. And another thing about skill in warfare is that you pick the grounds on which you fight if you're not attacked. But if you're going to have a battle plan, you're going to give yourself the most advantage. That's wisdom. That's skill. And here in Deuteronomy 4, 6, God tells Israel, you do what I tell you to do, and the nations will say, this is a wise nation. When we go to the 119th Psalm, David will write, your laws, your word, your statutes, your principles, everything you know, that we know of the Bible. He says, it's made me wiser than the ancients, wiser than my teachers. And that's the truth. This book here, the Bible, will make you wiser if you do it. But if you just kind of flip through it and you have a devotional, well, that would depend on how you define a devotional. If it's just, I read three chapters today, that's good. How did you say, I got to apply this? Look, I'm 44 years in the Lord, and I'm always finding more things I got to change. The way I think, the way I speak, anything could be anything at all. It's always challenging me to change, and that's wisdom. Well, it's only wisdom if I do it. Not wisdom if I read it and say, oh, okay, okay. Um, it's not wisdom. It's only wisdom when you do it. And I gave you the example of high-profile ministers who, while they were teaching these very things, behind the scenes were doing things that were actually criminal, not only immoral. In Proverbs, back to Proverbs chapter 1, let's look at two verses there, verse 2 and verse 3. Here Solomon tells us that the reason that he wrote the book of Proverbs, and here's the twist, was to know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding, to increase the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, and fairness. Now, what's the odd thing about this? Is that the man who wrote all of these Proverbs here, or most of the book of Proverbs, violated almost every one of them. When we talk about, and I mentioned to you Bill Gothard or Ravi Zacharias, and there's a whole long list, too long a list. What they did pales in total insignificance to what Solomon did. Here we find about, you know, the foolish man who goes in to commit adultery and he's got a thousand wives. And it says, the book says, the Bible says that it was those wives that led his heart away from the Lord. Rabbinical tradition, we don't know exactly when Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, but rabbinical tradition teaches that Solomon was very young when he wrote the book of the Song of Solomon. And rabbinical tradition teaches that the book of the Proverbs was written about middle age, so let's say around 40 and then, of course, it's obvious that the book of Ecclesiastes was written when he was old and reflecting back. And what do we see? If you think of it, if the book of the Ecclesiastes, if you think of it in one respect, it could be a rather depressing book as to what is the purpose of that book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He had more than everybody in this room combined, everybody watching, everybody listening by way of radio. He had it all. He had the women, he had the fame, he had the money. If there were cars, he had them. He had chariots, he had horses. He was so smart. Now, I'm not saying wise. He was so smart that the queen of Ethiopia came and saw his kingdom, heard his speech, all of these things. And she said, truly, the half of your life has not been told. Now, how does someone who can write these things, all right, the Holy Spirit, we know that. How does somebody who has so much wisdom be able to violate the very things that he wrote? The answer is sin. Sin just deceives us. The mind, the spirit both the Holy Spirit, your own spirit, your conscience is telling you, this is wrong, don't do that. And we still do it. And I've always been fearful that whatever I'm telling you, I'm going to be held accountable for like 25 times more. The fear of the Lord, verse 7, chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now Solomon wrote that. 
There's even a debate as to whether Solomon went to heaven or not. Well, I don't know. I don't think that's terribly important to what we know of his life. We know that he wrote these things. We know that he wrote Ecclesiastes where he's showing great regret for how he lived his life. And in the 12th chapter, the final chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Now, he's older now. He wrote this, we'll assume rabbinical tradition is correct. He wrote this as a middle-aged man. Now he's an old man. He's saying, let's hear the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every secret work into judgment, whether it be good or whether it be evil. What a, what a, look, at years ago I was teaching some people uh, when they had a heavy bag hanging in our gym, and I would hit it. And people would come by and just say, oh, you know, how do you get that kind of power? And how do you do that? And would you train me? Would you teach me? And I taught quite a few people. And in one of my discussions with someone I was helping, I said, well, there's two ways to learn in life. One is by principle. You learn how to do it correctly. You learn how to avoid pain. You learn how to avoid uh, whatever, confusion and so on. Or you learn by pain, by doing it wrong and repeatedly doing it wrong. And as, we, again, we read in Proverbs, a man perverts his own ways, it says, and his heart frets against the Lord. Why did God do this? God didn't do it. You did it. And in the ministry, of course, you face this quite a lot. People who refuse to look at themselves. They don't look in the mirror. And I tell people sometimes in discussion, if you would just take a long look in the mirror, which is really a metaphor of just looking at yourself, which we read in 1 Corinthians 11, if you would just take a long look in the mirror, you're going to find every problem you've ever faced. It's right there. He said, oh, that's outrageous. Said, no, it's really not. If you know that hanging around with this group of people is wrong, you don't hang around with them. Birds of a feather, what do they do? You know them by their company. And so you depart from that company. So what's the problem? Is it them? No, it was you. Get away from them. The guy's an alcoholic. He knows not to pass by the bar. The temptation is too great. So you go the long way around the barn, so you don't even have to see it. And so there's wisdom. And it's common knowledge, some of it, and common sense, some of it. But in all, it keeps us from the very thing that causes so much pain. What I'm saying is that the greatest problem that we have ever encountered is ourselves. I don't look at you and wonder why am I so... I'm not really unhappy, but let's say I was. Well, it's you guys. Well, then I should leave, right? <laughs> Wisdom would dictate if you're actually the one making me unhappy, I should ditch you. And I'm going to give you another even larger example to prove this point. If I'm unhappy, somehow the responsibility is mine. Let's go to the weather, my favorite. I asked my wife last night, what's it going to do? It's going to rain. And it rained. It was raining hard during the night. That didn't favor me. But then I remember that God made the weather. And I say, okay, well, and I can't, well, I guess I could pray and pray and pray. But why would I want to, to change the weather? It's not that important. Uh, unless there's a flood or something where we can petition God. We see the problem's there. Or we think the problem's God. And we don't see that God's working out a purpose in the world, in the earth. And he's not always going to consult us. As a matter of fact, he's not consulting us at all. I'm glad he's not consulting you or me. I'm glad he didn't ask me, hey, can you amend this book for me? I heard one of these uh, false teachers out there talking about how God, you know, God's always talking to them. All the time, God just talking, talking, talking. And God is asking, I'll leave his name out. God is asking this minister for his opinion. And so, you know, with, with that, the drama and the histrionics, these guys have to say, you want, Lord, you want my opinion? You want my opinion? He wants my opinion. Now, everybody can look at this guy and say, this is a lunatic. But he's not a lunatic. He's a very clever con artist. Because he knows the people in the audience are saying, wow, God asked Jesse. Oh, I get his name. <laughs> oh, well, as Joe Johnson would say, see you in court. Um, 
God wants Jesse's opinion. God never asked Jesse a thing. Not one single thing. God doesn't consult us. He says, this is how it's going to go. So get wise and learn how this operates. Why do you bang your head on the wall? Because it feels good when I stop. Okay, so that's an old one. But it's got, again, that little seed of wisdom. If this is what's hurting you, you are responsible for taking a step back. If certain things bother me and they do, I have to figure out a way to get around that, to change that. If I can change the situation, that's what I do. If I can't, I've got to figure a way. I've got to have an exit strategy. I have to find a way to get out. So we read here in Deuteronomy, and we read in Proverbs about wisdom. In chapter 3, if you're still in Proverbs, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. If I was to ask you today, well, I think you would get the right answer, but if I was to ask you today, hey, what would change America? You get all kinds of diverse opinions. I've mentioned to you, I find very distressing, coming mostly from the side on the right, but it's not always the right either, it's the left too, saying we need a civil war. Estimates of the American Civil War always been conservative at around 450,000 people, that soldiers mainly, that died, but not all soldiers, civilians as well. Modern scholarship is saying, no, it was about 750 or even a million people. Now, with 330 million people in the United States of America, does the Civil War really sound like that's the answer? No, it's not the answer. You don't have to know much about warfare and combat to say war is not the answer. We're going to have wars, and wars sometimes are ordained of God. I'm just simply saying that's not your first vote. You try to find the wisdom of how to turn this situation around. And I'll give it to you because you already know it anyway. We need a third great awakening. We need God to step in. We need God to do what we cannot do. And we only can do it through prayer. How many of us have been actually brought to the Lord because somebody was praying for us? Because we weren't wise enough to do it ourselves. So somebody prayed in our behalf and God heard them. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Chapter 7, verse 4. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Chapter 9, verse 6. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. I want to tell you something, and I hope that you don't take this in a manner that I'm speaking well of myself, or that, hey, really, I'm the only guy that really reads the Bible. It's not true. But I don't listen much to Christian television or Christian radio. I never have. First of all, I'm not in my car much to listen to the radio, and I'm not in front of a television set much to watch it either. I never really did, and even less now. In fact, it's really never. And why? I don't want to be confused with the book that I'm reading and studying. That's my main reason. Somebody says, hey, you got to listen to this message. And usually out of courtesy, I'll say, yeah, okay, yeah, thank you. But it just stays on my desk. First of all, I don't have the time. You've got to watch this video. I look at the time stamp on it. It's an hour and five minutes. I don't have an hour and five minutes. I told some people, just give me the highlights. Tell me one, two, and three, or four, and this is what it's about. And then I get the idea. Maybe it is worth my time. We need God to intervene. And we need a third great awakening in America. Because I'm of the opinion, and it may be subject to an amendment, or it may be subject to further review, change my own view, but I don't see any wisdom that we have at the moment is going to cut it. I really don't. Forsake the foolish and live. That's the friend's example. Well, yes, these guys, you know, well, then get away from these guys. Is that <laughs> simple? When I was young, in my early 20s, after being a dope for a few years, I realized that if I wanted to get ahead in anything, and I still do it to this day, I find someone, anybody who knows more about a subject than I do. They could be younger than me. They could be a female. They could be anybody. But they know more on one subject than I know. I ask a lot of questions. So how do you do that? Why do you do that? And how does that work? And then if I stay with one person... I've exhausted what they know. Now I know what they know. 
Then I go find one, two, three, four, five, six more people, ask them the same questions. Uh, and sometimes there's a diversity of opinion, and that tells me something too. It gives me wisdom. Then I know the subject better than I ever did before. That's wisdom. If you're hanging around with fools, you have to come to the conclusion it's not just those guys that are foolish. How much better, this is 1616, the book of Proverbs, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? Well, if you, could, hey, look at, if you see that one on television, would you please record it and send that to me? Somebody's saying, I don't mean someone with the Bible, saying, we're selling gold here, but really getting wisdom is even better. Guy calls me up years ago, wants to sell me gold coins. We've got a couple. We use it as security for these, uh, whatever disaster's coming. By the time it's worth anything, we'll be cashless. Anyway, it was one of those days, just a bad, long day, and there lots of stuff going on. My head was hurting. He calls me, hey, you know, I just wasn't in the mood, but I was kind of in the mood for a skirmish. And he went on this long speech. I'm shaking my head. When he was done, he says, so what do you think? I said, I'll tell you what I think. I think we're in a situation right now where we need to fast and pray and seek after Christ. What do you think? You can hear silence on the other end of the phone. He said, well, yeah, well, I guess you're right. Because it's better to seek for wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. That's what the book says. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 20, in all manners of wisdom and understanding, this is the legacy of Daniel and his friends. They were in Judah, they were in Jerusalem, they were taken into Babylon, yet they excelled all of the Babylonians in wisdom and understanding. And the king inquired of them, and he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. Matthew thirteen fifty four, And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch, this is Jesus obviously, that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom? And then there's added, and these mighty works. But look what they accented first. Before his miracles and raising the dead and healing the sick, he said, where do you get this wisdom? Well, he's Jesus, but we know that. Mark 6, 2. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. That's the same situation. Luke 1, 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit of Elias, Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. See, it's not just the just, righteous, the wisdom of the just. To make a people prepared for the Lord. Luke 2.40, and the child grew, this is Jesus again, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. It's always mentioned first, wisdom. Before power, there's wisdom. And many of us uh, in Christianity, we seek for the power. When God says, wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Let me say this to you. You have a prayer meeting, and you're going after God in the prayer meeting and telling God everything. Then, as soon as you leave the sanctuary or wherever the prayer meeting is, you violate all of his laws. Well, this is not wisdom. This is not the way to receive answers from God. We have to be lined up with his instructions and in his word. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, Luke 2.52 and in favor with God and man. Well, the favor with man didn't last too long, but he was in the beginning in favor with God and man. Acts 6.3, this is the deacon or the diaconi that should be in the church to this day, which it's not, not always. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. What a surprise, right? Full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. Here's Peter, the apostle's, they're being asked, hey, come on down here. We've got to straighten out things in the food pantry, the soup kitchen. And they said, whoa, whoa, it's not right that we should leave the word of God and the study and the prayer 
and go down and serve tables. So find seven men, and even those had to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom, how to administrate the distribution of food to widows, both Jewish and Greek. They needed people that knew how to do this in a fair and equitable fashion. Wisdom is constantly accented throughout the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, in the garden, Satan tempts Adam and Eve with this forbidden fruit and says that it's able to make you wise. This is the first thing. The problem here was this. It didn't make them wise. It made them have a knowledge of evil as well as good. And from that time on, we've had problems ever since. You see, the problem that we have all over the place here, inside the church, outside the church, is a disobedience to God's commandments. It's an unwillingness to find wisdom, to seek for it with all the heart, to understand how this operates. I mean, obviously we have problems with the sound system, right? So we know that our friend back there, he's got to learn a little more. He has to because he figured this out. Although to me, honestly, this looks like black spaghetti. And uh, I'm just hoping that it don't look like that to you. I know that it doesn't. But, you know, if I had to really figure this out myself, I've got to spend time. I've got to read some books and manuals and really get in there and monkey around with it and all that. And so we have to know that the main thing of life is to be wise and become wiser and wiser and wiser. When I was studying classical guitar, my one, uh, and it still bothers me, not physically bothers me like it hurts, it's just my fretting is always wrong somehow on this pinky. The only good thing about it is that I kept making the exact same mistake every single time. That was easy to fix because I was doing the exact wrong thing every single time. But what if I began to argue a really dumb point by saying, well, it's just the way I play it. And then someone who's actually experienced in music would say, but that's not how it's written. And it's a discordant note. And I said, I don't know anything about discordant notes. It's just the way I play it. When I know that the truth of it is, is that I'm playing it wrong, but I won't admit it. So now we need humility. In order to get to wisdom, we've got to realize, but then we have to admit, whether to others, I don't know, but at least to yourself, I don't know anything. And in some cases, you have to say to yourself, I don't know what I'm doing. I've been in situations where I'm trying to fix something, and then maybe my wife will come by and say, what are you doing? I, say, I don't know what I'm doing. It's the truth. I'm not an expert in this field. I'm not even uh, qualified for this particular issue. Usually something in the house. She said, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Doing my best. Some lukewarm water. Hit it with a hammer. It always fixes. If there was a problem in the engine and there was a noise, you fix it by just turning up the radio. Boom. It's all done. No noise. <laughs> Boop. Just turn it up a little louder. Hey, what noise? Just keep turning it up louder. Well, that's not precisely wisdom when you're breaking down between here and Buffalo in a snowstorm. So we sometimes fake it. And the truth of it is we don't know what we're doing. And I want to say this to you as a trade secret. There's a lot of preachers just faking it. They're actually very good actors. I'm here to tell you today. And it moves people emotionally because their emotional intelligence is pretty low. Instead of sitting back and detaching and saying, it's very dramatic, but is it true? And there's your time and your interest to say, I've got to find out if this is actually true. And that takes time. But you, in the end, will be better off. Remember that Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living? Do you remember that Socrates also said, know thyself? You see, what I've always practiced is to know the Bible and see how does it apply to me. When I study people, the one person I study more than anybody else is I study myself. Why this habit? How come at that point in time and day do I experience this feeling or this attitude, but not at other points? And you can start to figure things out. That's wisdom. You see, I don't want to live in pain, physical or otherwise. I've had enough of it in my life. So what I want is to find the wisdom to get around it. You can't get around everything. And that's wisdom in itself, too. And you know, this is unavoidable pain. You're going to have to pay the price on that one. 
But there's some things that we can avoid. I don't know if there's any of you here today that really like to argue. There are people who do. But I honestly don't. I really don't. It's not that I won't. It's just that's not my... I don't get up in the morning and say, who can I fight today? <laughs> Who's out there? And you know what? The truth of it is, I never was that way. I don't want to get up in the morning and say, hey, you want to fight? I've had friends that were like that, but that's not me. But then, you know, I told you about the friend who, every day when we were in grade school, challenged me to a fight. Jackie, another Irish kid. You want to fight? I said, no, not really. He's kind of like here, and I was kind of like here. You want to fight? No. You want to fight? No. He just took a swing. We're fighting. I beat him up. The very next day, he comes back. So you want to fight? And I said, no, we just fought yesterday. You want to fight? And I said, no, I don't want to fight. You want to fight? Wham, bam, bam. I beat him up again. This went on for a week. And every day he kept going, you want to fight? I said, Jackie, I beat you up every day this week. Why would you want to pick on a guy that's been beating you up every single day? I just hope he don't hear this message and come looking for me. This will probably say, you want to fight again? I said, Jackie, it's been 60 years. You want to fight again? All right, here we go. Get in the backyard. We'll do it again. I'll beat you up again. But there's some people that are inclined that way. I don't think that most of you in here are inclined that way. There are some fights you cannot avoid and you've got to be in them. But for me, I just want to live in peace. How many of you would agree with that? I want to live in peace. Don't let people suck you down the drain while they're circling it with their drama. And you're going to find a lot of that on social media. If you're a newbie to social media, learn some things. Step back. Take a deep breath before you... You know what? I'm going to give you something here, and I'm not even going to charge you for it. Let me see if I can find it real quick, and then I'll finish. If you're not mad at me yet, this will get you mad at me. I want to go to the book of Isaiah, and I'm hoping that I can find this verse, chapter 8. And this is wisdom for this age. Chapter 8 of Isaiah. You there? Verse 11. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand. So Isaiah is saying this was put to me in a very powerful way. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Of course, he didn't have much companionship at that point anyway. What people is he talking about? We're talking about the kingdom of Judah. We're talking about his brethren. We're talking about people, you know, actually some were his relatives. We're talking about the Jews. I should not walk in the way of this people. Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. You know what the word confederacy means? It means a conspiracy. There was an idea that there was a conspiracy up in Israel, you know, the ten northern tribes of Israel, two southern tribes. And what they're saying is that Israel is conspiring with either Egypt or whoever, the Assyrians or whoever, and they're going to come down and attack us and all of this. And God speaks to Isaiah with a very strong hand. He says, don't walk in the way of this people. And they keep talking about conspiracies. I want to go on the record and say there have been conspiracies throughout history. That's not new. However, in the age in which we live, we seem to have a people, and I'm talking mainly about conservatives and quite a few Christians. That's all they say. I'm on social media. I see these superstars of the conservative way, and that's all they keep saying. I don't talk much on social media. I put up the videos, say hi to a few old friends, and I'm off. That's me. Because I'm not going to get engaged with people who don't either have brains or don't use their brains or don't want to use their brains, and I'm not spoiling for a fight. I want to live in peace as much as I can. Say ye not a conspiracy to all them to whom this people shall say a conspiracy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now, what did they do with Isaiah? Tradition says they sawed him in half. Nobody tells us this isn't a conspiracy, you traitor. Jeremiah, the same thing. Traitor. What do you talk about the 
king of Babylon is going to overcome us. You know who we are? We've got the temple. That was also said in the days of Isaiah, which are you know, pretty close to only 150 years or so apart. And he says, no, Babylon is going to take us over. I always say I wouldn't want to be Jeremiah. I wouldn't want to be Isaiah either. The Lord spoke to me with a strong hand. He says, do not walk in the way of this people. And don't say there's a conspiracy, there's a conspiracy. And don't fear what they're fearing. This is the people of God. This is not the world. This is the people of God. He says, don't say it. Don't do it. Were there conspiracies? Yeah, they killed the kings of Israel. They killed the kings of Judah. But that's been part of human nature from the very beginning. But when you get into a mindset that's constant conspiratorial, you're bordering on paranoia. You'll find that if you dedicate yourself to this verse here, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, you have enough to occupy the rest of your life. And more than that, and this to me is wisdom, you have one man, one woman, one person truly filled with the Holy Spirit. That's going to make a difference in this generation. If you have two, three, or we have what I'm saying, a great awakening of God's Spirit. And you mentioned it in the prayer earlier on. That we don't see in the first or second great awakening a frivolous spirit, a folly. Here in Rome, it's not that far from us. Before Finney arrived, Charles Finney, it was like a cloud filled. People were trembling. They were shaking. And he hadn't even arrived. He hadn't preached. How was that? Father Nash and others who were praying, oh God, oh God, touch this meeting. Before he was coming in, people were nervous. All kinds of unusual things were happening because that's what's recorded in this book. When God actually moves, things are happening and we say, whoa, I didn't do that. And you say, no, I didn't do it either. And God begins to move. This is what we need. But I'll leave you with this. If you can't remember anything or everything that I've said, just remember one thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Get wise. And oddly enough, Facebook and social media provide you with a great platform. Lots of practice there. Look at this as a, nah, ain't going there. I've had people attack me, friends. And you know what the solution is? You know what my solution is, right? Boop, block. It's wisdom to say, doot, done. People I grew up with lacing into me and then some of my friends on there too. Beep, you're all done. Boop, you're all done. All done. Going to read a good book, read the Bible, pray, relax, rest, whatever. It's simple. If you can't remember anything, just remember that. The principal thing is wisdom. Lord, what do I do? Most of the answers are here. When they're not, Lord, what do I do? First chapter of James, he'll give wisdom. He won't upbraid you. He won't send you away. He gives wisdom freely. And that's what we need. That's what we've always needed. If Adam and Eve had been wise enough, they would have said, whoa, 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 we heard about you. You, sir, are a liar. So we're not going to take your word. You know, my belief in life, my theory of life is that people are going to do what they want to do. I don't control what you do. You don't control what I do. But I would strongly exhort you that you take these scriptures, especially the last one. Let the Lord be your fear. Let the Lord be your dread. Don't worry about what technology is doing. We can't fix it and change it anyway. It's just falling out. It's doing what it's doing. But go before the Lord who is able to cause you to escape the things and give you the wisdom to know what to do in your personal life or any other area of your life. To know. So you don't cause yourself or others you love more pain, more suffering, more aggravation, and so on. You know, take a moment, just a quick moment as we finish here today, to examine yourself. And I used to like to tease at the sign up here on the billboard. How do you really feel? I like that. Because we can go to the doctor and they say, um, so how's it going? Good, good. Your leg is half blown off. Your eye's falling out of the socket. But we feel an obligation. Why don't we just say, well, I'm suffering here, doc. <laughs> this is how we have to be with the Lord. We have to come before the Lord, and we have to seek for the truth. Lord, everything, we understand that everything depends on the heart of man, and how much do we really want to know the truth? 
How much of the truth? The people of Judah didn't want to know the truth. Same with the days of Isaiah. Moses, same thing too. It's always been that way. But in every generation, you have select individuals that say, no, I want to know the truth. Daniel was one of them. Solomon, it's an odd situation, Lord. He wrote things and then violated the very things that he wrote under the aegis of your spirit. He wrote them, but still, he violated almost every single one. But then at the end, he learned the lesson. Too late, but he learned it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It was all vain. Help us, Lord, because we're not at the end of our life just yet, to understand the whole purpose is wisdom. To know what to do and what not to do is to know who to be with and who not to be with. Help us in every area of our life to attain to wisdom, to know what to do. Father, we do pray for our country. We're praying for a great awakening in the pulpits of America, in the church, or churches. And God, we just ask you to move through our country and give us a third great awakening, a true revival, not a fluff and lots of loud music and shouting. Rather, just to have something that's true, it's the real deal, it's the real thing. In our personal lives, God, give us wisdom to conduct our affairs and our business one day at a time and to know what to do, like the children of Issachar. We bless you today, Father, and we praise you. We give you honor and we give you glory. As the scriptures state, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And I pray that you give all my friends here, my brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us, and especially me, the wisdom to know what to do in an hour such as this. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all of the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. And amen.